Okay. So, as we said, the movie starts up in Kansas. What it actually does is it starts in black and white in a, a 4.3 aspect ratio. Full frame. No, that's the old day full frame square shaped screen like you'd see in those old Disney cartoons. Yeah, the same aspect ratio MGM's Wizard of Oz was filmed in. Also, pretty much all Oz movies up until The Wiz. The title sequence actually is a very nice looking piece, I have to say. It is. Because Oscar is from the circus, the opening uses these um, sort of like a mix between puppetry and, you know, it's very theatrical. I like it. Where these puppets, shadow play, and all this thing you'd see in the theater or pantomime before we get to the live-action scenes. Kansas 1905. I was kind of afraid they were going to do that, where they would absolutely say things that would date it, because, um, you know, apparently here they put it in 1905, so it would work with the time frame of the MGM film. Or the original books. Well, you know, if it was in the original books, then it would have had to been much earlier than 1905. Yes, but we're dealing with people who are not diehard fans of the original books, such as we are, so... I just mm. wish they hadn't absolutely put a date on it, not mention people like Harry Houdini and Thomas Edison, so that way people would point it at a specific time period and like, oh, this is where it goes, rather than making it more a bit more ambiguous... It's like, you know, even in the MGM film, people are like, wait, so does Kansas take place in 1900 or 1938 before they realize, oh, wait, there's an incubator. It's 1938. (laughs) And there's the look of the costumes, too. But, yeah. What did you think about um, Kansas bits here and there, like the Bomb Brothers Circus, um, Zach Braff being, Zach Braff's character being named Frank, um, the possible allusion to Dorothy Gale's forthcoming family, like, who might be a family, and um, overall Oscar's selfish behavior. Okay, well, they depict the wizard as a little bit of a womanizer here. I mean, of course, this is a Disney movie and intended for families. They don't mention sex, but... No. uh, I have always kind of thought... This is a guy who's run away from his family. According to the original Oz books, his dad's a politician, so come on, he's definitely done a few things that were, were, that parents wouldn't exactly think a good role model would do. But So I was kind of okay with them going in that direction for the wizard, and I kind of knew that this is Disney, so they're not going to make it too dirty. So I, I was actually okay with how they handled... The wizard being a shyster like that, because, you know, I kind of figured that's who he'd be anyway. Although I think they make him a bit more, a bit more of a jerk than I imagined. Yeah. You know, call me boring, call me bland, but I don't believe that was a decision for the better, for the story or the character. I mean, I'm sure that had Elfenbone given the time, energy and effort into writing an actual book that had the Wizard of Oz before he came to Oz, I don't think he'd be that selfish of a man. I mean, when you watch this movie and compare it to the book, or more specifically MGM, 
you could justify Frank Morgan saying how he's a good man, just a bad wizard. But you know, you can have Oscar become be a good man and still come to wars and have some character development. But you know, uh, it's I, I didn't like it overall. Though, yeah, I think that that pretty much they played it up so it'd make for better cinema, really. I, I get why they did it, even though I'm not entirely happy with him being such a jerk. And aside from James Franco, there were two other notable actors considered for the role. Robert Downey Jr. and Johnny Depp. Which Johnny I... Depp... You know, Johnny Depp's been just been so many things, I was like, oh, I kind of hope they don't get him. I'm glad they didn't go with Johnny Depp because... It would have been one too many more connections or similarities to Alice in Wonderland, and he's not really that young either. Johnny Depp's uh, forty-nine. Wow, he's older than I thought. Robert Downey Jr. is good, but I'm not quite sure that he would have emotionally been invested in the character of the story itself. So, while I do like Robert Downey Jr., he's probably the better of. The lot, even though he's not young either. I would have liked somebody else in the role of the wizard. I would have liked somebody else to be the wizard instead of James Franco. Really? Hugh would you have liked as the wizard? (laughs) Well, as much as I like Hugh Jackman, um, as good as he would have been, um, the person I would have had more in mind would be James Marsden, who played Cyclops in the X-Men films. James Marsden, I think, would have been a much better role. He's still youngish, but he actually has better acting than James Franco. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I could have seen that. I They probably just went with uh, James Franco because he's also got a little bit of star power going on. We've only heard three actors consider for the role. Is that it? I really thought James Franco has really grown as an actor. I don't see that. And w- didn't they consider anybody else for this role? Come on. I'm pretty sure there was, at some point, it was open for auditions, not just, you know, hey, let's call up, uh, let's call up these three actors, and whoever could do it, we'll do it. We'll, we'll have them do it. I mean, that's kind of how they make it sound like, but I'm very sure this is not exactly how it happened. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. So, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, right now we're... St- the movie's still new. Disney hasn't let out a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff, so we don't know the exact nitty-gritties that happen behind the scenes. So mm. if it sounds like it went smoothly, it's not true. Likewise, um, the foreshadowing or reference to Dorothy's Family, Zach Braff and Joey King's Kansas Walls. I mean, of course, um, since they were trying to channel MGM movie, that was kind of something you could see coming with uh, Zach Braff, who would play the uh, the wizard's fr- uh, friend, Fanny the Flying Monkey, appear in Kansas as uh, his assistant, Frank, which we, of course, everyone could spot. Ah, named after L. Frank Baum. I thought that was a bit much. I yeah. thought there were some moments I thought were just too... Much. I mean, I thought they were too much in the publicity, but when I saw the movie, it wasn't bad. But finding out about it in the press releases, I thought, that's a bit too much. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, the Bond Brothers Circus. Okay, yeah, maybe Frank was a storyteller and he liked to entertain people, but uh, I don't know. Well, really, the, the point there is the Bond Brothers Circus wasn't really made too much of a big deal in the movie. No. It was definitely much more noticeable in the publicity materials than the actual mm-hmm. movie itself. So I didn't really hold that much against it, but it's like, oh, but it seemed a bit too much like name dropping just for the sake of being able to say, oh, yes, we know who L. Frank Baum was. Which, you know, I'm like, don't name drop. Do, the, do his world some justice. I misheard one time how Frank Baum had a cameo in the Kansas scenes, but. I guess I misinterpreted it as the bomb circus and Frank character. Yeah, I think maybe at some point that they were planning on having someone named Frank appear, but, you know. Um, I know that one person at least speculated, hey, I wonder if they're going to have this Frank here to be L. Frank Baum, and I'm like, it, it depends on what exactly the role entails. Now that we've actually seen the movie, we can say no, definitely not. Thank goodness. But I have to say that scene um, with Joey King's character, like the girl in the wheelchair, oh, that was heartbreaking. Oscar has performed a feat of magic, stage magic, of course, that where makes a woman levitate, and these people ask him to heal the daughter and make her rock again. And when he realizes that he's impressed them far too much, that kind of gets to him there. And it really gets to the audience because it's a little girl who's like, I want to walk again. Um, Joey King, I don't think she's really done that much. I mean, while we're talking, I'm actually hopping all over Wikipedia here. I know her from uh, Beezus and Ramona. Mm, that's it. Let's see, she was in some Disney Channel stuff, Malcolm in the Middle, other TV shows. And but this is her one major project. Well, hmm. Okay, well, it appears that this is her really her first big movie role after Be- uh, Ramona and Beezus, so I guess you can say that. And she does, really does play the role of the wheelchair girl very effectively, and for its worth, I thought Zach Braff was, uh, was excellent as Frank. Although, I still found it a bit hard to believe how when Oscar is running away from the strong man because he's made a move on his girl, and Oscar hides in balloon, and the balloon's um, getting caught in rain storm. I found it hard to believe how Zack would throw the hat and his suitcase to Oscar, saying, you'll need these. Well, I guess the stuff in his bag is the essential things he's going to need wherever he winds up. Which, you know, of course, that turns out to be true. But the hat, on the other hand, well, okay, let's just give it to him. Because he's this guy, he needs a hat, whatever. If Oscar's a selfish man before he comes to Oz, it doesn't really do well for the story. Unless you're setting up the Marvelous Land of Oz book, where he takes a baby Ozma and um, takes Pastoria's throne. But um, I think it just ruins the character and contradicts the original text. Especially if he's the one who supposedly creates the Witch of the West when, and he is the one who sends Dorothy to kill the witch and clean up his mess. 
and right. the strong the strong man's the only character in Kansas who doesn't appear in all surprisingly. You'd think at the least he'd become a winky soldier though. Michelle Williams also makes an appearance as uh, Annie, a mm-hmm. woman who Oscar has off and on dated. And she tells him that John Gale has asked uh, her to marry him, and he reflects that uh, this causes Oscar to reflect that, yes, Kansas is full of good men like John Gale, but I don't want to be like him, so. I want to be a great man. He more or less, yeah, he more or less gives her his blessing to go ahead and marry him, which, you know, Gale, Dorothy Gale, so. That's the most decent thing he's done in Kansas the whole time, letting the woman go because he loves her. This scene actually did contain a little bit that I found a little bit niggling because he says that his father worked the earth until he died, died face down in it. And I'm like, wait a minute, the books say specifically that the wizard's father was a politician, not a farmer, so... Oh, yeah. What? Why couldn't you have gone with that? Because, you know, I always think the fact that, you know, you have a politician and then his sons run away and join the circus, you get some interesting character going here. But uh, I guess not, so... And they also put one more Dorothy, one or two Dorothy references in this sequence by having not only a tornado take Oscar in his balloon, but also we see a house um, flying the tornado briefly before um, breaking apart to pieces. Um... Which I don't like. I mean, the wizard comes towards in a hurricane, or that's my belief, Dorothy is the one who comes in a tornado. Well, in the book, pretty much, the wizard says that the balloon got away and flowed away with him, and that was it. No storm whatsoever. But Mm -hmm. I guess that's not cinematic enough. I do think there are times they did a little bit too much foreshadowing here in Kansas. I thought, I mean, there is foreshadowing, but sometimes you can be a little bit too forceful with hints for a later story. Which, in this one, since they're definitely pre-shadowing the MGM film, that might be going a little bit too much, because just in case your movie isn't as good as well received as that one, one of the worst things you want to do is uh, remind people of a really good movie while they're watching one that isn't so good. This movie is and isn't a prequel to MGM, the most notable reason being that in The Wizard of Oz movie... Judy Garland's Dorothy meets a Professor Marvel character in Kansas, and and mo- also most notably of all, her adventure in Oz is a dream. So, you know, that's really contradicting the movie there. But in this Disney film, they're making it a prequel to that one of sorts, so it's very confusing. Yeah, it works, but it doesn't work, you could say. So yeah, Oscar makes a splashdown in Oz when he finally arrives, but I think we might want to talk about the Kansas scenes now? Overall? Hmm. Um, I think it does help to set up the character, like the kind of person he is and what he needs to do to become a better man. But, um... Yeah, I think at times the Kansas scenes have too much foreshadowing, too many references, and although it does have a little bit of heart and sympathy or empathy. I even thought before I saw the movie that I thought the Kansas scenes were a little bit too detailed, you know, like they could have been a bit more out of focus and then be completely sharp and clear when I'm in Oz, but 
Uh, I guess that was just with the publicity. So I think seeing the cancer scenes in the movie itself, it wasn't too detailed. Um, did you see the movie in 2D or 3D? Yes, I did see the movie in 3D with two good friends of mine, Angelo Scangiua and Felipe Sandoval. So the three of us, we saw it in 3D. We enjoyed it. And it was better than expected. We enjoyed it. And the 3D was pretty good. There was one scene a little bit, a moment later, where I kind of put my hand forward to kind of touch, and I'm using that term loosely, the um, touch the little fragments or whatever particles that were floating in the air. I saw it in 3D as well, and yeah, I thought it was really well done. I mean, it didn't, I didn't get any eye strain or a, a headache from it at all, so I was very happy with the 3D look here. And sometimes you really do feel like it's good 3D. Sometimes there's a scene where spears are thrown, and you can nearly feel them coming at you. It's during this tornado sequence that Sam Raimi really goes a bit corny at times, because we see how... Some sharp objects are being thrown about the tornado, and Oscar's in a balloon, so he's in a... Wicker basket. Yeah, yes. some splinters of wood uh, uh, rip through the basket, and that really makes for a striking uh, 3D scene. You saw him scream, right? I mean, there's screaming naturally, and he, you know, he shakes his hands, he shakes his head. You know, didn't you see that that acting was a little bit corny or something from Sam Raimi's direction? It did seem a little corny, especially the lines, I don't want to die this way, I haven't accomplished anything yet. Oh, yeah. Like, is, um, okay? That's what he's saying? Mm. Okay. I think there are quite a few lines they should have left out of the trailer. Maybe have it in the movie, but, you know, for the movie, I think he was just trying to have a desperate plea to not die, you know? But, yeah, sometimes what James Franco says just doesn't really have any proper meaning. Uh, but that's a scene where we go gradually from square black and white, for a black and white box, to this wide, colorful palette. It was done so well. It's less noticeable in the movie than it is in the trailer. So, wow, good job there. Yeah, the trailer has it like scroll open there, but in the movie it's like, oh wait, we're on white screen now. We're in color. Slowly. Um, yeah, so as I said, he splash lands in Oz, he lands in a river, goes down a waterfall, passes some very interesting-looking flora of Oz. All of which is mainly for 3D thrills, rather than actual adding to the story, unless you count cinematic action. As he's getting out of the water, he's met by Theodora, who says that she's a good witch, and she believes him to be the wizard who was foretold in a prophecy, which... <sighs> I'm sick of all of these fantasy movies having prophecies in them. Disney has done it three times already. It They had it in Narnia, which is fine because the prophecy was in the original book. But they put it in Wonderland, which has absolutely no basis in Lewis Carroll's nonsense writings for fun. And, and Alice in Oz, Wonderland, it didn't even need to be. There was just, you know, 
we need to get rid. We need to kill the Jabberwocky because that's her. Because that's the Red Queen's big weapon there. That was all they needed to do. Not some big prophecy. Speaking of that, there's a big difference between doing something of your own decision and doing something because you're foretold to do it. You know, there's a there's a big difference between doing what you're told and doing what you decide yourself. Um, Theodore's costume here, she has a big hat uh, that's red, big red jacket, and pants and shoes. Now, in the trailers, this wasn't entirely taken well, at least by me, but you've read the movie novelization, haven't you? Yeah, they, they call it a riding costume, although, and I did come up with a few reasons why she's wearing this instead of a dress like... Uh, she does wear a, a bit later in the film. Mm. And the reason I came up with, I did mention, well, it's a riding co- dress, but then what was she riding? And then I mentioned that maybe that since she was out in the woods, this is just something she's wearing so she can uh, knock around in the brush without worrying about getting her fancy clothes met, uh, too torn up or anything. Practical. Yeah, practical travel wear. Are there any short dresses that are good for traveling with pants underneath, or was this more practical? I definitely say it was a bit more practical here. I think the reason I found it hard to accept at first because it's Sam Raimi, he exaggerates at times, and maybe it was just a little bit too colorful for me, or maybe the material used. You know, it looks a bit more stylish than practical and useful, but... Um, you know, I've never studied 1900 travel wear, so um, I guess I'll let it go. They head off together to the Emerald City, and there's a scene where he gives Theodore a music budge, which he seems to have a story these that he gives to women he romances, telling them that uh, they belong to his grandmother who died in a battle or something. That he With names that he makes up, which just goes to show how much of a showman he is. Yeah. And there's a scene where they dance together, and altogether, she pretty much falls in love with him. Mm, like so many others. On their way to the Emerald City, though, they find uh, Wing Monkey, who's been caught in some vines. And as Oscar's trying to set him free, the monkey's like, No, the vines are okay, it's that. And he points, and there's a lion right behind him, and the lion starts running, and Oscar throws some. Uh, fireworks that may, make a little bit of a red, red smoke and the lion turns and runs away and uh, this has caused some fan controversy and they've people are like oh that's supposed to be the cowardly lion I'm like no the cowardly lion would be considering the fact that it seems like aging is present in this version of Oz the cowardly lion this lion would be way too old to be the one that joins Dorothy considering what they've told us about the time yeah like, well how do you know that and I'm like well they haven't made the rules clear for this version, so... I mean, come on, people. Just because they have a lion who's scared doesn't mean it's the scaredy cat. Any wild animal would be scared by a loud noise. A loud noise, smoke like that, they would be he's scared of that. It's not necessarily the fact that it's inherently cowardly. And since Dorothy meets the wizard as an older man, well, we've got two or so decades before... James Franco is the old wizard Dorothy meets. And lions, they definitely have a lifespan that's under 30 years, so 
and that's only if they're in the captivity. I think it's like 15 if they're out in the wild. Mm, survival of the fittest. But in captivity, they tend to live, uh, I think, a little over 20. And of, of course, in the books, it doesn't matter for the Cowardly Lion because aging stops anyways, so he lives forever, but... But that's something that's not going to be touched upon in this movie. Yeah, they uh, definitely go for a different thing, so I'm going to say no, this is not the Cowardly Lion. It just alludes to a scaredy, a scared lion, that's all. Agreed. And for a while, um, like I've already said before how I have yet to really accept Finley in this role... But when I look at him, he does very much bring to mind the John O'Neill illustrations because he did draw animals with clothes on, even if they had wings sometimes. I really liked the design of Finley pretty much from when I first saw him. I was like, ooh, I hope they do like a lot of action figures of those and they haven't. Zach Braff was put in this movie because Sam Raimi's wife suggested to him because she thought he was funny. Yeah, she was but- probably a fan of Scrubs or something. Yes, but I uh, some of these things give me such a headache. The ideas or reasonings to put them in, but he was funnier in the movie than he was in all the publicity. I just think I have a problem with what he says. Overall, Finley serves the role of uh, the wizard's right-hand man, Wizard Oscar. Well, since they believe he's a wizard now, I guess we can refer to him as the wizard. And he says he has a life debt to him, which is not taking something like straight out of the pages of Harry Potter. I mean, there's the whole life debt thing. That's how Harry um, oh, survives. You saved my life. Now I shall serve yours. You know, that sort of thing. Speaking of spoilers, I mean, this doesn't happen. But before I saw the movie, I expected Finley to become the winged monkey that we see in MGM's Wizard of Oz. You know, um, with his clipped wings. Yeah, because um, yeah, wasn't it said one time how Finley was Theodore's assistant or friend or something, a companion? I don't recall that, but, you know, there was an early version of the script that did get out, and a lot of people read it. I think a lot of uh, there was just a lot of confusion over people who had read it, people who hadn't commenting on what they said. Eventually got mixed together, and finally the movie comes out, and we got to see the story as it as they finally... Decided on it. The story told in the lead script changed a lot until I got to the final film. Uh, shortly after Oscar rescues Finley, they get close to the Emerald City and he sends Theodore up ahead of him and uh, he confides to Finley that he's not really a wizard. Well, being told that you're going to rule thousands of people with a queen can be a little bit um, <laughs> daunting. This is going to be a big show. And this is something he'll have to live with pretty much every day of his life. Uh, unless he can get away. And we add a moment here where there's a bit of more deleting of a scene. like a case where the trailers have a scene or two that's not in the final film. And that has Oscar and Theodore in a carriage going across the Emerald City. Which we don't see. We see them in the carriage... Outside the Emerald City, but not inside. You see them coming to the throne room almost immediately. Sam Raimi did mention there was quite a bit of stuff that they had to knock out for timing. A lot of it did include a lot of exposition and backstory. So um, people are hoping these scenes wind up on the DVD or Blu-ray. Please, 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 please. Maybe to make the story even better. 
Mm. Ooh, an extended cut would be nice, but come on, this is Disney we're talking about. Deleted scenes would be nice, mm. at least. On the way into the Emerald City, they meet the Munchkin Herald named Nuck, who's a black Munchkin who... I didn't really mind that he was a black Munchkin. Me neither. I've seen people say, oh my gosh, there's a black Munchkin. There weren't any black Munchkins in the 1939 movie. It's like... It was a different time. Who cares, Okay. It's Oz. There could uh, there could be black munchkins. Maybe some of them. Maybe they just didn't live in that area we saw in the Imogen movie. Think of whatever you want. It doesn't matter. You can have a multi-ethnic Oz, and it doesn't have to offend the spirit of Bomb. And it's this character, Nuck the Munchkin, who has a few comedy bits too. Like he wants to blow a fanfare, but no, not yet. And he people can't say his name. My name is Nuck. <laughs> and he appears in the third poster of that panorama image. He appears here and there in the movie, but I don't think he really should have been in the poster. The poster, I thought, made him look like he had a beard or something, but no, he doesn't. Must have been his chin. Anywho, so Theodore and Oscar arrive in the Emerald City, and I meet Theodore's sister, Evanor, played by Rachel Weisz. Who is very funny to Oscar, but as soon as he leaves the room, bam. You dare to bring that oaf in here and allow him to sit on the hallowed throne just because he claims to be a wizard. And Theodore sincerely believes in him. But uh, Evanor says that he hasn't proved himself to her. And there's another deleted scene. In the trailer, she says... I just need to give him one little test. But we then cut to her leading him to the treasure room, which would go well with the Marvelous Land of Oz book. I really wish they'd been bolder and gone with a brand new version of Oz rather than trying to foreshadow the MGM movie. Yes, they do have an MGM-like Emerald City here, but it's much more city-like and palace-like, so I thought they did a good job here. Yeah. Back in our uh, talk about the MGM film, we know that it didn't really sell the idea of a city that well. Here, it's not just green, but it has a few gold linings here and there. It has actual windows, buildings, actual stairs, you know, all these things. It was a great job. In fact, one or two of the trailers have the Disney castle change into the Emerald City. Now, that wasn't in the opening of the movie, but did you say for the end credits? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, neither And I've heard people who sat through the end quest say that... Uh, was it there? Was it at the end? Uh, no, they said it wasn't. Well, that those trailers had better be on the DVD. Because I'd like to use it for one or two things. Yeah, it's a good design of the Emerald City. I was actually very pleased with the look for the Emerald City, but... I was just saying, the overall story, I wish that they'd definitely gone for something a bit more... Eh? Uh, created a brand new interpretation of Oz rather than just going for the MGM film. We have the Emerald Wall. Yeah. Evanor shows Oscar what's called the Room of Resplendence, where the treasures of Oz are stored. And frankly, this is what really gets him sold on the idea of becoming the wizard. Riches. Riches, yes. Gold, treasures, and a... What is this? A chalice. I've always wanted a chalice. But he can't get that unless he defeats the Wicked Witch and Evanoa emphasizes that he has to kill her. Although 
if we're talking spoilers, it's pretty obvious who's bad here. I mean, if you've read the original books, you don't find a woman who's glamorous dressed up without something to say about a character. Yeah. yeah. It's notable that uh, when Bomb did have a woman who was very glamorous, obsessed with her looks, Princess Languadier, for example. Yes. Um, she was. She wasn't exactly good. I mean, Princess Languadier wasn't exactly completely wicked in the book Ozma of Oz. But on the other hand, no. she wasn't a good girl either. She had a temp- terrible temper with one head in particular. Yeah. So, being made to believe that the wicked witch is named Glinda, who poisoned her own father, who made the supposed prophecy that that a wizard would come from the sky and defeat the wicked witch. Oscar goes out with Finley to find the Wicked Witch and kill her. I'll have to say that I think Oscar and Finley did have a good little bit of camaraderie here. Speaking about that banana scene. Oscar promises to give Finley bananas and he's like, Oh, just because I'm a monkey, you think I love uh, bananas. What, you don't like bananas? I'm a monkey, of course I love bananas. I found that a little bit hard to accept. Again, it was in the trailer, but I found that too modern, too... too too contemporary, too much like something from Seth MacFarlane. It's not something Elfenbaum would have written himself. No. But then again, this is not a Baum Oz film, so I just have to accept it. Take it for what it is. Mm. They eventually come across um, a fork in the Yellow Brick Road where, you know, it leads in two different directions, but Finley, the sensible one, sees smoke on a mountain and... says, we should check if people need help, which Oscar doesn't, but they come across a loose version of the Tainty China Country. It's called Chinatown, and some people have been like, oh, it's supposed to represent China, and it's like, nope, this is supposed to be be a city that's made out of China. The Chinatown has been pretty much destroyed. There's a scene where Oscar picks up fragments of a China person's face. I almost gasped at that bit. So we're given the impression that when a China person has been smashed, you know, like not just broken an arm off, but actually broken, they lose their life. Which is kind of a flesh-out development of the original book. Because in the original book, it was one China wall circling this China town with a China floor, and the people who were tiny would instantly stop moving if they were taken out of the country. But here, um, their village is like oversized tea kettles, porcelain items, and it's elaborated. I mean, you know, I guess the idea of being completely smashed does kind of fit with Bomb's rule that you couldn't be killed, but you could be completely destroyed in Oz. However, there's a little thing here, and that is something that David Maxney pointed out in a group. Back in 1900, when The Wonderful Wizard of Oz was published, when the term Dainty China was used, it meant China figurines and all that, not uh, kettles and stuff like uh, and teacups. So, okay. but on the other hand, this isn't the Dainty China country, so uh, I'll give them a pass right here. And there's a little theory I did come up with as I was walking home from the movie. So there's China Girl, and 
at the end, she can't have her family restored because apparently they've been too destroyed and the pieces are too mixed up. Devil hoped to put them all back together again, at least. Which is much worse than the photocomchicks of the Emerald City of Oz book, now that you mention. But on the other hand, if this is supposed to be a prequel to Bomb's story, then what is the dainty China country that Dorothy finds when she's going to see Glinda? Is this possibly China Girl's new home that Glinda is created for? Oh, good point. And is that uh, why there's the wall around it and the fighting trees around to keep people out so that way it stays safe? Very clever. Which kind of makes it be like, oh, Glinda, you're so good. Mm. That's one little interesting way to read it if you want to see this as a prequel to the book. It's one little bit I would like to be like, oh, I want to snatch that and put it in official Oz continuity, except mm. it does have the entire destruction of a China city, which does mean citizens of Oz were killed. And it would be hard to replicate unless they somehow managed to make new China people in Oz and Glinda was able to bring them to life. It's not impossible, so... But we do see China Girl, who some fans have criticized that she doesn't have a name. I mean, one of our friends, Nathan Dehoff, he came up with a good name, Portia Lin. <laughs> Portia. That, that would have been a nice one. Mm. Um, her legs been broken, but uh, Oscar ha- happens to have some quick drying and very strong glue here, which people point out that that really exists in 1905, which, who knows, it just works for the story. They've made it historically accurate. It's not a squeezy tube or anything. It's just a little glass bottle with a glue label and a brush that you dab, as he says. So that's acceptable. According to China Girl, the winged baboons, instead of... Who will- we actually got a hint of them earlier. Yeah. According to China Girl, the baboons were had destroyed the city, so... Which actually happened when it was heard Oscar had arrived. So he's kind of thought about a bit more destruction than intended. Yeah. And of course, he didn't mean for it to happen, so... He kind of gets a free pass in that. On one hand, it's not really his fault that it happened. But on the other hand, his arrival did make it happen. China Girl allows Oscar to become a better person by actually, sort of, helping the girl walk again. Something he couldn't do in Kansas. China Girl is voiced by Joey King, so in a sort of way he gives the girl uh, her wish, and, but it's her Oz counterpart instead of her Kansas counterpart. Before we saw the movie, um, I don't know about you, but I interpret her as a short, older China woman, you know, not a girl. But she, she does look kind of womanly, but um, that's probably just the hair and the sort of slightly pale red lips. She does make a very sweet character. But spunky, too, as we mm. find out in the next minute. The wizard tries to send her to the Emerald City, but she insists on coming with them. You're going to leave me here alone? On the road? Um, Victoria, or... Um, Toy from the Wizard of Oz collector's blog on YouTube. She did have a problem with her sort of little temper, like her little tantrum. But what did you think? Like, do you think that was good for the character, or...? Well, you know, she does cry. I mean, it's because she's not getting exactly what she wants. But on the other hand, you do have to realize... 
her family's just been taken away from her. She's scared. She doesn't know exactly who to trust. And then here comes this guy who actually helped her, and he's really the only person she feels safe with. So what else does, can she do if he's not going to help her? She holds onto his leg. He tries to kick her off. Not too hard, thank goodness. Boy, good luck with that in your conscious. Fine, fine. We'll all go together. Wait! Let's go kill ourselves a wicked witch. <laughs> and she goes skipping along, which I'm actually surprised how quickly she was able to skip. And Oscar and Finley just look at each other, oh. as in most comedy situations. One criticism I have is that James Franco, again, doesn't really act properly. Like, when he's supposed to be holding her, his hands don't properly react to her. So he was probably acting with nothing. Or if he had a stand-in mannequin or something, he didn't hold it properly. According to the art book, they had a marionette actually stand in for on. In the animation, it still doesn't pull off so well. I kind of thought he was trying to hold her very gently. Yeah, but I don't think his hands were quite delicate enough. So he head to the dark forest where some of the flora and fauna wind up really scaring them along the way. Which is, again, more for the 3D thing. And again, Sam Raimi's spook factor. He does tend to go for the corny, exaggerated, scary, screaming factor at times. Which does it at times, or at least I don't agree with. At, at, at this point, at least I thought, okay, they're in a strange place, and there's all these, and they did build up the creepy tension at least enough for them so that when they do scream, you do kind of get the idea. Yes, this is why they're screaming. They're scared, so That's... they're they're at least believably enough scared because they pretty much made themselves that much more scared when these things do pop up. But even when. In a scene like this where James is supposed to be acting scared, he doesn't really have that much emotion in his face. His eyes aren't wide enough. His mouth isn't, isn't screaming or loud enough. You know, it's he's just not acting properly at times. Or this is just one of those bad takes. Um, in the trailers when he was going, I hate the Dark Forest, I hate the Dark Forest. I thought that was a very strong allusion to Bud Law's I do believe in spooks. I do believe in spooks. I do, I do, I do, I do believe in spooks. Did you yeah. agree or disagree? I did think of that. But we see that it's not just a dark forest, but it's also a bit of a graveyard. We see the so-called Wicked Witch, but it's actually Glinda in a black robe, paying her respects to her dearly departed father. Oscar, China Girl, and uh, Finley try to make a plan to capture the wand and break it, but uh, Finley sneezes the plan away. When I saw that scene in the trailer, I hated that bit so much. That's I think that's the one reason I hated Finley. Oi, the clots. But um, as it turns out, Glinda sets her wand down anyway. Now, did she do this on purpose, or did she know they were there, and was she doing it uh, to catch them? I think Glinda put her wand down out of respect. You know, she's going into a graveyard, she wasn't expecting anyone else, kind of like how people take the shoes off on Holy Lands, out of respect, more than as a test. But when Oscar tries to take the wand, Glinda almost catches him, and there is a funny bit where Finley distracts Glinda by making a noise, and China Girl goes, A cow? Because Finley makes a cow noise, and that is a funny moment. <laughs> you see Finley in the distance... 
like his silhouette against the moon, and he's oh. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Michelle Williams also plays Glenda, so when she catches Oscar with a wand, he's reminded of Annie when he sees her. Haven't I seen you before? Kansas somewhere? Which actually doesn't usually happen in most of these dual world fantasies. When someone who's traveled to a faraway land sees someone in that place that looks someone like they know, they never acknowledge it, but here he does, so that's a bit of good writing. He doesn't really think... Wait, is that Annie? But he's probably not used to seeing her as, well, this. What did you think of Michelle as Glinda? I thought she did very well. Of course, I would have liked Glinda with red hair, since she's supposed to be the Witch of the South. Maybe a slightly hint of red, maybe. But, um... You know, on the other hand, she did pull off the regalness and wisdom of Glinda very well. So... I pretty much gave her a pass on the hair there. And this is a younger version of Glinda. If this is a prequel to Billy Buck's fluffy, pink, ditzy woman. But definitely Michelle Williams is the least offensive and the most satisfying of the lot here. Father is revealed to have been Pastoria. Which kind of... They didn't say his name, though. Well, no, but uh, on the... Tombstone, this is probably really not, not going to be that noticed until we I can actually pause to see it on the home video release. Oh, I it didn't actually see it. Pastoria on there. The statue of Pastoria on the monument is supposedly based on Elfine Bomb, though. I don't really think it looks too much like him. I didn't think of that at all. I didn't. I noticed how the king looked like a normal man with a dog beside him, but. I didn't think it was Frank Baum. Like, too many illusions at times. But the next scene we have, I thought that the crystal ball of Evanor was done really well. Evanor's crystal ball was actually pretty convincing. And it was a little nod to the MGM movie how they pulled out of the frame and then revealed it to be in the crystal ball. You know, there's a very similar scene right after, in the MGM film right after they meet the Cowardly Lion where that happens. This is where we get to see a little bit more of the origin for the Witch of the West, which I'm sure quite a few of us are not happy about. Uh, Mila Kunis comes in. She's dressed for a party. She doesn't know that Oscar has left to go kill a witch. And Rachel, or Ivanoa, has led her to believe that she's been dumped for Glinda or something. This makes uh, Theodore cry and the tears burn her cheeks. Hint, hint. But I was a little bit confused by the scene because one minute we see Evanoa go to a little box that has this red powder she pours into a box and then she gets out the music box that Oscar keeps forking out. So were you confused by this scene? Because I'm not sure whether Oscar actually did give Evanoa a music box or if Evanoa took Theodore's, or if she just used that red powder to make a copy. Were you confused or not? I'm pretty sure that it, Oscar didn't give her a music box because we didn't see him give her one, and if he, she, he had, that would have been a point we would have seen. So she either made a copy or, or took uh, Theodore's. But what's with the red powder? The red powder is supposed to be how she works for magic, and some people have noted that in the MGM movie, the hourglass that uh, the Wicked of the West uses to 
friend Dorothy's life also has a red powder inside of it. And the magic spell for the poppies, too, in that movie. And also a pair of shoes that Disney couldn't legally use. Oscar begins to see how much he's been duped. How, d- how does that feel? And now we see how Evanol was in charge of the flying baboons here. I didn't like the flying baboons. I thought they were a bit too much, like too scary. Well, not too scary, but just, you know, too in your face and annoying at times. I mean, couldn't they have thought of something else other than a different breed of flying monkeys? Yeah, maybe they could have used calendars or something. Or those lime on eggs, you know, like lions, monkeys, eagles. Ooh, and you know, we did see them in stone form in Return to Oz, so that would have been a nice way to... Decoration. The winged baboons and the winky soldiers are sent by Evanora to kill the so-called traitors or whatever. And Glinda uses act- some actual magic here, which is pretty good. I mean, she this is a younger Glinda, so she's not the all-powerful, wise one we know from the books, but pretty good. I like how, as the friends are running, James Franco makes a remark about her using the fog or mist to... Um, try to protect them, and she goes, Best I could do under these circumstances! So it does give her a kind of bit of um, weather control here, which uh, nods to the her use of snow in the MGM movie. Yeah, then they come to a cliff, a moment we've seen in the trailer where it's about jumping off the cliff, like a leap of faith. Zinda jumps off, China Girl jumps off, the Finley jumps off, of course he can fly. Uh, Oscar is a little more apprehensive, but he jumps off as well. And after the flying baboons, uh, things that they're gone for good or, or something, uh, they all emerge in bubbles except for Finley, who's flying and is carrying Oscar's bag. Uh, there's a moment where they come to the edge of a, the cliff and they almost kind of do that dangling pull me back moment. Do you think that was a bit much or it was okay? Well, it's kind of almost become something we expect, so... Um, for Oscar, Finley, and China Girl, I can expect that. For Glinda, not so much. Well, she doesn't dingle on the edge, no, but she does pull Oscar back from falling, but, you know, I think that was just a bit too rigged. It was too forced, not natural. I think it could have been trimmed down a bit. So then, the bubble transportation, we get to Glinda's castle. It's an interesting moment because... This one massive bubble that protects her country. And the scenery does look very beautiful here. Like we see where the emeralds for the Emerald City may have come from. And we see these flowers made out of crystals that bloom. So pretty good. And there's a funny moment where only the good shall pass through the bubble. Oh, but uh, Oscar, he's not exactly good, is he? Yeah, he said he's been saying pretty much ever since Kansas, he doesn't want to be a good man, he wants to be a great one. It takes a little bit um, longer for him to get in, join the others. I do like how whenever we see the bubbles or the mist of Glinda, there's like a rainbow hint to it, like multicolored, not just pink, but a bit of blue, red, purple, orange, yellow, magenta, all these colors hinted just very lightly with the white. The bubble scene was actually one of the reasons I decided to see it in 3D because I thought, okay, this is going to be a scene where I absolutely want to see it in 3D. And it wasn't quite as good looking as I thought it might be, but still I thought it was a very nicely done scene. It's in this scene also that we see one mountain or landscape that's in the shape of an elephant with a waterfall coming out of his snout. 
which we may have read about once or twice in the publicity in the art design, which, well, it's okay. It's not really Oz, but it's nice. So we have Glinda's, and there's um, Munchkins, who are short people, Quadlings, who are the regular-looking people. But not red, with a few sort of billowed gowns or outfits, like sort of alluding to the roundness in the original books. And then there's the Tinkers, who are supposedly able to make anything. I was a little put off by the idea that they're going for that certain people of ours have certain names that, you know, if you're a short person, you're a munchkin. And pretty much if you're anything else, it looks like you're a quadling. Whereas in the original books, it's where you, where, what part of the land of Oz you hail from. For example, you know, I'm an American in a Missouri and a Missourian at the same time. So, I suppose you're saying how in this movie, especially in this movie, as opposed to, say, MGM or something, this is more naming the people of Oz by their stature, as opposed to, say, their location. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, and I was like, uh, well, okay. And back in the Emerald City, um, Theodore has pretty much realized that she's had her heart broken, so she asks Evanor to make it stop, and Evanor gives her a green apple, Snow White. At this moment, like, when I saw that, I was like, that's it? This is the origin for the Witch of the West? And Felipe agreed with me. Like, he, he thought, we both thought that was just ridiculous. One bite. Oh, seriously. That's uh, because she felt jilted by the man who would become the Wizard of Oz. Um, it's like, uh, okay. That is not what Elfine Bomb would have written. And this is the moment that a lot of you have seen the trailers where the witch's green arm suddenly appears and scratches the table. I thought how when we see the Witch of the West's silhouette, like her shadow on the wall, I thought that her hair looked very much like The Witch of the West from the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. And I enjoyed that, but I don't like The Witch of the West being made or created after The Wizard has come to Oz. I mean, it makes a better story. I mean, that's not how Elvin Bond wrote it. He had Oscar come to Oz when the witches of the East and West were already there when they were already ruling the Winkies and the Munchkins. But, you know, when the wizard ex- somehow causes the Witch of the West, it not only mentions Wicked, which some people don't like, it also ruins the character, you know? Like it... Ugh. It's just forced. And the Witch of the West is supposed to be old, you know, decrepit, ancient even, not youngish. That's according to Bomb, but, uh, well, they went for something else here, which wasn't quite Bomb. That's what they did. Rachel Weiss also, at times, she kind of, I've thought at times when I've seen her in, yes, publicity, I thought she kind of goes back and forth between looking young and looking a bit older. I mean, it could probably have to do with the angles, she's photographs, and the lighting, but sometimes she looks younger, sometimes she looks older, so it's... It's not always consistent. Is she supposed to be the oldest of the witches? It's implied that she's the older sister between Evanor and Theodore. Oh, that's definitely true, but 
with Glinda, is she younger than Glinda or older than Glinda? I don't think they make it clear, and, you know, there's definitely ways people can look younger, and I think that the book definitely makes it clear that Glinda stays looking younger, and the image of me read that says that Glinda stays looking beautiful, although apparently she changes quite a bit. Uh-huh, which was unexpected, and one of the few surprises I had. Then Oscar then tries to have the people of Oz, with Glinda's help, try to fight the Emerald City and gain back the throne or something. Well, before, when Evanor told Oscar that he had to defeat the Wicked Witch, he wasn't expecting to kill her until she, until Evanor told her. And now, in a reverse of that situation, Oscar is trying to have the people defeat Evanor with defeat with death in mind, but Glinda is not up for the destruction or death. And yeah, Oscar's not exactly impressed with what he has. The farmers, the tinkers, the... Munchkins. Cooks. In fact, there was even one woman I thought, Keki the cookie chef, when she said she bakes. Yeah, this is where they have the Munchkins song, which specifically mentions the prophecy. The prophecy was clear... The wind would bring you here. Yeah, Oscar then says, guys, um, take five. Again, bad writing, not something you'd say in Oz. But then we get a, another hint of the MGM movie where the now new Wicked Witch, Green Witch, makes a loud, smoking, fiery appearance in Glinda's location, which also has a sort of swirly yellow brick road. Which you'd have to be colorblind not to notice. Now, we see the Witch of the West in a full attire here. Um, you know, not just the green skin, but a big black hat, her feathered shoulders, her sort of leather attire, and a cleavage with a tattered dress and pants. Now, I didn't really like this design, especially the um, neck wrap that kind of separates her head from the neck. What did you think of this look? I was reminded a lot of the screen tests for Gail Sondergaard as the Wicked Witch of the West back in 1939. Oh, Especially the kind of cowl thing that tightly fits around her head. Mm. Now that you mention it, that's true. So I thought that was a bit more of the look they were trying to go for. And, you know, this is supposed to be a younger version of the Wicked Witch of the West. She hasn't grown old with her wickedness yet, so she hasn't gotten quite so ugly. But then again, Margaret Hamilton was... Uh, 33 or 36 when she played the role, so she wasn't that old either. Well, there was makeup, so... Yeah, some people have criticized the witch for looking like a drag queen here. And she does look a little bit, um, butchy or masculine in the face. I think that's one problem when you have green makeup, and that is that it really accentuates parts of your face that can rather make you look very masculine if you don't have the right face for it. Uh, Margaret Hamilton did have the right face for it, where she didn't look like that. Uh, Idina Menzel is also another one who's been able to wear green very well. I, I think Maya Kunis just barely passes here. Her face is a little more round than Margaret or Adina's was. But, you know, this is really one of the messes that Disney had to get through for this movie because, you know, MGM made The Wizard of Oz. They 
manipulated the silver shoes into ruby slippers. They gave the Witch of the West her green skin. So if other studios are going to try to use some other studios' material, you know, I mean, it's one mess of copyright. It doesn't, I mean, yes, Disney was able to find a hint or a hue or a tint of green that Warner Brothers was happy with because they own the movie now, but a green-skinned witch is a green-skinned witch. And a green-skinned witch of the West. There you go. Yes. There's no way to get around it. Either use that character if you have the right to it, or you do something else if you don't. It's not that hard. And, again, it's a bit of my disappointment in that they weren't breaking away from what had already been set up in the MGM film and trying to create their brand-new look of eyes. Which, you know, I would have been okay if it was like they'd used some elements from MGM to get people in and then make it clear, okay, hey, we got you in, but we're actually going with a brand new take on Oz that we think you'll enjoy. Which, you know, would work really well at all since it seems they want to make this into a franchise. Much early in the movie, when um, Theodore revealed that she was a witch to Oscar, Oscar actually goes, quite badly, where's your broom? Where's your wart? Why would I want a broom? to fly and this is she takes that step she takes somebody's broom and it transforms into the black stick she'll fly on and yes she flies away in a cloud of smoke trailing behind her cackling but i hate the witch showing her legs and pants and a tattered dress it's not right for this kind of fairyland i only accept women in pants if they're a warrior you know it's practical for that, but if you're a witch, it doesn't make sense. Oscar tries to leave, coward. However, Glinda convinces him to at least stay the night, so... Um, he texts trying to go into bed, and she... She can sleep? That's a little something weird, but, you know... On the other hand, uh, Bomb did have the wooden gargoyles apparently seem to sleep. Hmm. So, I suppose maybe China Girl needs it. She has a little talk about what type of wizard he is, and... It was kind of sweet there. It is. It is. It. I mean, the bed scene is a little bit hard to accept, but the overall goal of the scene to inspire Oscar to keep fighting or properly fight and save Oz, it does help. Yeah. Unfortunately, here we come to something else that kind of makes me groan as an Oz purist, and that is they show a map. The Winky Country is obviously shown in the east, and the Munchkin Country is clearly shown in the west. Right. And if you've seen the it released for um, publicity, you see that the compass rose clearly shows this. So it's like, what did you do? Why did you have to do it like this? So it's like, you've kind of made a mess of this now. Because even if you go with that, the Dim Jim film clearly calls the Wicked Witch of the East, who is tormenting the Munchkins, the Wicked Witch of the East. And you mm-hmm. assume it's in the Munchkin country. I didn't notice the map bit. I did see the map, but I didn't really see the Munchkin or Winky part so well as the others. Well, yeah, you didn't see it too well in the film, but, you know, you, it was put in their making of book. And mm. then you see it in the film and you realize it's the exact same map. The next scene has the next scene has the characters, the good and the bad, getting ready which is something we've already seen in Narnia and Alice in Wonderland. So Oscar is having the farmers and the tinkers and Glendent, the others, his other friends, 
getting ready for battle with coming up with tricks and this. So they don't have to kill people. Yeah. But we, I think we had a scene that sort of alludes to the green spectacles a little. Not intentionally, but a little bit, I think. Now, it kind of shows what they're doing, but for the for our purposes here, we're just we're not going to go over it till we actually get into the big reveals. And Evanor is also um, talking her winky soldiers and the winged baboons into battle. But Theodora now surprises her sister by being more vicious by saying that they'll take no prisoners. We'll show them no mercy. Yeah, which Evanor is really surprised. Of whoa, which I sometimes wonder if she thinks, "What have I done?" or if she's either regretting this or almost being impressed, sort of just not quite satisfied yet. According to the novelization, she's supposed to think, "Oh, what monster have I created?" We've already discussed how Theodore becomes the Witch of the West, the green-skinned one, but someone pointed out how Theodore is Dorothy backwards. The name Theodore. So then we get to the day of battle. And, I mean, some of the friends sneak in without being detected. And we have another fun moment with Nuck, like, sort of hitting a winky soldier on his head because he has a bit of um, an attitude or temper. This is actually played by um, Bruce Campbell, who apparently pops up in all of Sam Raimi's movies. Oh, the winky soldier? Yes, this oh. particular one. Okay. He's supposed to be the guard who's not going to let them get in. I forgot about that. Sam Raimi Civil usually has these things in all these films, like his younger brother Ted, Bruce Campbell, and even a car he has. Although that latter one, I forgot about it and I haven't seen it in film. Which I haven't seen I one. Thought it's what, I thought it was rather dumb having a car... A director's car cameo in an Oz film. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but maybe we'll find out what or where it is, the home video releases or whatever. So then we see Glinda um, sort of sneak an army to charge into the Emerald City through a poppy field. But she casts a fog over, so when Evanor and Theodore see the uh, army advancing, they just see the shapes marching through the poppies. So um, they think, oh, they're marching to the poppies. They're going to fall asleep there. And so they send the, and the flying baboons to do the work anyways. But the fog clears and it turns out those aren't people. They're scarecrows. Mm. Although I actually had the impression that um, the Glinda's fog was supposed to either A, camouflage the poppy so that the scent wouldn't affect any people if they were, people crossing the poppies or, you know, to masquerade the people walking. But when I saw this poppy field, I actually leaned over to Angelo and whispered, you know, that poppy field doesn't exactly look too difficult to cross. And he agreed with me because A, it didn't look that dense. And B, there's a yellow big road right next to it that you can walk along without, you know, without the poppies growing between the cracks. It was good how they tricked the winged baboons into falling asleep into the poppies, and good riddance to them. Yeah, however, a couple of them aren't, aren't tricked, and they managed to capture Glinda, who drops her wand, and uh, China Girl has enough presence of mind to grab it, hit, hit and hide. 
Thankfully, so, she doesn't get caught by Evanoa, so... People good. have mentioned uh, Rachel Wise's uh, wire work here, and apparently they s- seem to say that she admitted to having a flight on being up on wires, and they thought she moved kind of jerkily here. Um, yeah. I don't really see it as a fault so much as someone who's very wicked who's looking for something... You know, I, I was kind of reminded of uh, the Eye of Sauron and the Lord of the Rings movies looking back and forth for the person who's carrying the ring. Okay. Well, I was one of those people who thought Rachel Weisz wasn't doing good posture or acting on the wire work. But uh, wires are pretty hard to do, especially when you're supposed to be acting. And it's a pretty painful process. I mean, you have wires on you so you can't exactly move as freely as you can in like water or in space but you have to work with what you've got but it also has to do with the takes that you're edited with so who knows Nuck has driven a wagon that has been successfully smuggled into the Emerald City and the people of Oz are also repelling against the witches because they know now somehow, I don't know how but they know now how Glinda is good, and the sisters are wick- the wicked ones. And, you know, Glinda's been subjected to torture or, you know, zapping, pain, and she's powerless of sorts, and everyone else can't do anything about it. There's a little bit here where the wizard go has a balloon that's been made up, and he's at the room of Splendor, and he's filling it with the balloon with gold. Now, in the novelization, they make it makes clear that he's going to be leaving the Emerald City in the balloon, and he's just taking what gold he can. Mm. But um, then he has a second thought when he really thinks about the people. I did kind of go for that. You horrid man. You selfish sleaze. But after a while, I did think otherwise. The film makes it look like he's just uh, gone over. He's just doing this as a ruse. So I was kind of glad that little change. However, uh, Theodore notices him, and instead of uh, dealing with him right then and there, she decides to make a big show of it when she sees uh, to show everyone the balloon flying away, so that way they lose faith in the wizard. So she hits the balloon with fire, and it explodes, and... Which... Uh, is actually a moment you mentioned in the MGM Wizard of Oz, like how Frank Morgan said how he kept his balloon in somewhere hidden in, in the case of a quick getaway, which you said he'd be completely vulnerable, right? And yeah. they move that, they show that here. Yeah, that is a point. I, I'm very sure they didn't. They hadn't heard me when I uh, when they came up with that. Probably they came with it before I said that. It's a bit of a trick. But um, it's a good one, so... Finley thinks Oscar is dead, but then he reveals himself to Finley disguised as a winky guard. So as the uh, Wicked Witch sisters celebrate their defeat of the wizard, he makes uh, protection come up on smoke. Which it's like, seriously? Now you weren't even trying to avoid the MGM movie. Well, he said in the movie... This is my true superior form, so witches can't really attack anything that smokes, so I didn't have a problem with this sequence when the wizard actually defeats the witches by scaring them off, as everybody else did. I can understand their nitpicks, but I can't 
nitpick everything, but it's not that bad. Theodore does send a fireball his way, and the machine does blink out for a little bit. And during this scene, uh, Triangle manages to get the wand back to Glinda and helps her escape. Which was a little bit suspenseful because, oh, is she going to get caught? Uh, Theodore almost gets hit by a firework that appears to shoot from the wizard's mouth because the wizard's also been using fireworks that he said the people of Oz make to make them think that he's, he has control of the skies as well. How the witches could have been fooled by like the glowing smoke or the glowing trail before the fireworks crack is a little bit... Well, the whole conceit here is that they've never seen fireworks before, so they True. don't know what these are supposed to look like. No, correct. And, um, you know, this is enough to scare off Theodore, who's, I guess, still very new to being this wicked. Mm. And the wizard says, if you can ever find the goodness in yourself, you're welcome to come back. And she shouts, never! Which, you know, this is going to get kind of complicated when, like, maybe 20 or 30 years later, he asks a little girl to go kill her! Yeah, it's... I mean, you finally gain sympathy for this character, but... Ugh! I'm so damn sick of this green witch who's caused by the wizard. It happened in Wicked as well. Well, at least it didn't go completely that route. Yeah, then we come to the next battle, which is Evanoa and Glinda. Actual magic. Good magic versus bad magic. Wires on wires. And it's actually here we see, very notably, the kind of sources of power for some of the witches. I mean, Theodore had a ruby ring that glowed just before she summons her fire. And Evanoa has this seemingly magic emerald that doesn't just summon electricity, which someone said it was a hint or allusion to Star Wars. But, yeah, I don't know. But it does more than just summon her magic. It's not about that Theodore's ruby ring, actually, in the 1902 musical, The Wizard of Oz, there was actually oh. a ruby ring that uh, the Good Witch of the North gave Dorothy, which... So, did you enjoy the battle between Glinda and Evanor? I thought it was, you know, it, very much, we've seen this type of things before. We've seen, like, the Emperor uh, from Star Wars uh, shooting lightning bolts and stuff, but... I was like, okay, it's fine. It's the Wicked Witch here versus Glinda the Good Witch, so we'll just go with it. In in a story that I did enjoy, the Oz and the Three Witches, the Wicked Witch of the East does shoot lightning bolts, so it was almost like that. We see a bit of destruction to the throne room that may hint at a refurbishment, which may or may not fit MGM, but whatever. The big important thing here is that Evanor's amulet gets broken and she turns into an old uh, withered hag. Crone. The Wicked Witch of the East. Mm. At least, um, supposedly. Yeah. What if they do a Wizard of Oz and they switch it on us and it turns out that Theodore is the Wicked Witch of the East and Evanor is the Wicked Witch of the West? Nah, nah that's not going to happen. I mean, they've already alluded to it. I mean, Theodore has some sort of allergic reaction to water when her heart broke. And she flies on a broomstick, so Evanor would have to get some form of the magic shoes if they do go down here. But yeah. Glinda banishes Evanor from the Emerald City. I almost thought I, the East, but... No, wait! 
Glinda wouldn't send a wicked witch to the Munchkins, so something else must have happened. But yeah, just banished her from the Emerald City. She didn't say exactly where, though. Thank goodness. The Dark Forest, maybe, or somewhere else. Who knows? And then pretty much the next day, Glinda reads a proclamation that the Land of Oz is going to forevermore be free, which, that's not the case. And then we see that the, the Tinkers have moved, managed to make at least a smoke projector in the throne room so the wizard can appear that way to anyone who absolutely has to see him. And then he gives uh, gifts to all his friends. And actual friends this time, who helped him. Finley... He shows more respect to Finley than he did to his assistant, Frank. He offers him his friendship. Yeah. That's all he. That's all Finley ever wanted. He tells host Tiger that there'll be her new family. He gives Tinker a sort of early version of a pocket utility knife or something. It looks like a very odd version of a Swiss Army knife. That's it, yeah. What does he give Nook? Oh, yes, the um, sort of... It's kind of like a paper fan on a stick, but it has a smile on it to hold up against his face. Because most of the time, Nux had a very uh, dour expression on his face. He's kind of like the grumpy of Oz. And then for Glinda, they go behind the curtain and he gives the... Oh, that wasn't a good scene for a moment. And they kiss. Well, thankfully that's after he says... Thank you for believing in me, that sort of thing. And, uh, I mean, I found out about this kiss before I saw the movie, you know, from Facebook, because of the world we live in, but um, I don't really think the kiss is a good idea. It does kind of get, uh, make things get complicated when you set up a uh, relationship between Glinda and the wizard like this. I didn't like Glinda's outfit in this scene either, because in all the other scenes, she's had a normal um, plain dress, more or less, with feathers or something, like on the shoulders, and her dress has been like a normal gown, but here it's a bit more stylish, more fashionable, and not quite Glinda's style from the books. But anyways, uh, Nick finally gets to blow his fanfare, and this is where the movie ends. With a green, the end. And... End credits scrolling above a green curtain, appropriately. And one thing I was a little glad of is that um, if you left, like, when the credits were starting, you didn't have to hear Mariah Carey's song Almost Home, which I don't think either of us really cared for when we heard it online. It wasn't so bad in the movie itself. Um, the snippets for this movie were worse off on their own than in the movie itself, but, yeah, it does seem odd how Mariah Carey sings a pop-like song called Almost Home for a movie where it's the story of about a man who is taken away from his land and is far away from it for decades and decades, and it's not really his home. It's like, what does this have to do with the movie, so... But how would you compare Mariah Carey's Almost Home song to Avril Lavigne's Underground song? Okay, I didn't think either songs really fit the rest of the music for the film, but I'll have to give Avril Lavigne credit here for having a song whose lyrics actually clearly fit the movie they were for. And she was easier to understand, too, or easier to hear, unlike Mariah Carey's song. 
I know Mariah Carey has her fans who loved it, but uh, not me. The story was more about uh, a man who goes from selfish to having to care for an an entire country Mm. and really finding his place in the world. Whereas, you know, Almost Home, you might think that might fit Dorothy's story a bit better. Mm. Or Getting Home, more like it. When you put the this movie and the uh, MGM Wizard of Oz together, ultimately, the wizard doesn't really have a home. It's kind of sad when you consider the story there. Mm. I mean, of course, in the books, it's eventually made clear Oz is his home. Not um, in the movie continuities, no. If you try to piece together continuity, which you have a lot of blind spots to look at. But I suppose we now have a Disney... Oz Trilogy, we had the prequel, Oz the Green and Powerful, we had the Muppets Wizard of Oz, which, which is the, in some form, in some form, and then we have the sequel, Return to Oz, which is definitely the best of the lot. You notice that uh, Disney hasn't, hasn't mentioned um, the Muppets Wizard of Oz at all. Mm. I wonder why that is. Well, <laughs> it's been seven years since we've seen this movie, and... Um, you know, perspective on a movie can change. I mean, people liked Spider-Man 3 when that came out, but now a lot of people don't like that one as well, or as much anymore. Well, anyway, so here's Disney's new movie. Now, in this day and age, everybody wants to make sequels and franchises and all this sort of thing. But honestly, I'd be happier if they didn't make more movies about this. I do like Oz and I do like Disney, but it would have it'd be so much better, more heartful and smarter and better, more quality if it actually had Walt Disney involved, you know? Because today yeah. Disney's just not doing a good enough job anymore. In the direct to video sequels to the classic animated films, they always have the offspring or new characters have the same adventure the original film did, but with reverse walls. So, and likewise here, the story they've used for Oz the Great and Powerful is the same as they've used for The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Alice in Wonderland, which didn't fit. I don't really think they needed to have a prophecy. They could have just said, you're the great wizard. Have you come to save us from the wicked witches? Or... Something like that. Mm. Have you come to save us from the Wicked Witch? And he'd be like, oh, uh, yes, I'm the wizard. And then, oh, great. Well, here's what you need about the Wicked Witch. Oh. For a bomb purist like me, I think about... Like us, yes. Little nuggets that bomb did leave about there. And I thought, you could tie together such an incredible epic story out of what bomb, the little bits that bomb wrote. And they just totally did not do that. Mm. And, um... You know, if they do, they they say they are planning during sequels, so we'll just assume that there will be one. I don't think we can expect to see Ozma in it. I think really what they've done here is they they've pretty messed much, it up already. They pretty much incorporated Ozma's character into Glinda. She's Pastoria's daughter now, and there's the whole thing about her not wanting to kill people, which is du- almost directly what Ozma says in the Emerald City of Oz. True. Yeah, but. It's so messed up. Still, there are some things I guess they could go for. I mean, they could probably still introduce Ozma if they absolutely wanted to, where they could say that she's been 
in suspended animation or under a spell or something, and they try to free her or something like that. But, you know, there's other things they could do, I guess, but on one hand, it's like, okay, it'll be another Odyssey movie, but on the other hand, it's not really going to be Bombzaz, so what are they going to do? You know, in the early days of Brick, you know, because that was the original title, Brick, I, for some reason, expected the prequel story to kind of have elements from The Lost Princess of Oz. I don't know why, but I guess just the whole idea of it, of the traveling. But, you know, we do get the wizard coming to Oz, but it's not in the way we know. There are wicked witches in Oz, but they're not obviously wicked. Glinda is there, but she's not wise and knowing. And she's the only one good witch in the whole land of Oz, as usual, with two bad ones or something. Well, here's something they could do for the sequel. What if the sequel does introduce maybe a slightly more uh, bumbling uh, good witch to the north? Because, you know, I did think, you know, if we have good witches who kind of pick up that the wizard isn't exactly what he seems to be, there would make no sense for the books to, for the original book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, to have the good witch of the north just go ahead and send Dorothy to the Emerald City. Not knowing the wizard's a humbug? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. There's that. But I think the movie both tries to put in too much and mixes things up. I think quite a few of the scenes in the trailers should have been left out and be left in the movie as a surprise. Like the publicity for The Dark Knight Rises. We got a bit of publicity for that, but we had a lot more surprises when we saw the movie itself. Yeah. I mean, you haven't seen that movie, have you yet? Not yet. But you've seen the publicity for it? Yep. Well, I assure you, you will be definitely surprised. While I have only seen Sam Raimi's Spider-Man films... And I liked them. I'm not a fan of Sam Raimi himself. I mean, yes, he's a good director. And I'm sure many others would argue to say he's great. And I understand that. But just because he's a top director doesn't mean he always makes the best decisions. Even Steven Spielberg has said that he made mistakes with Temple of Doom. And that's his least favorite film. But Sam Raimi, he just... Sometimes exaggerates too much. Do you remember how in Spider-Man 2, there's a scene where Doc Ock is scaling up a building, a girl hears him, and then she screams? You know, do you remember the way she screams? Yeah. Yes, exactly. He has the actors act in such a silly, corny, exaggerated way that it's not acting, it's just being stupid. And that's what James Franco does when he's almost about to be sliced and diced and dashed or whatever, poked or whatever, by pieces, sharp fragments in a balloon and tornado. And I've seen Sam Raimi in some behind-the-scenes footage for Spider-Man. Maybe that might have been an act, but I thought that Sam Raimi was just too full-on at times. And James Franco, I know I've already said I don't like him, but... In the first Spider-Man film, from the moment Peter Parker and Norman Osborn kind of ganged up on Harry about that girl, Mary Jane, that he hasn't said anything, and James or Harry goes, I should have told you about MJ and I. 
I that's the moment I didn't like James Franco. Maybe it's because of the character, but I don't think James Franco is really that good of an actor. He mumbles. He's not emotionally intriguing. He's not that good of an actor. James Marsden would have done a much better job, but you know, I think Sam Raimi's just wasn't open-minded enough. I mean, he's a fan only of the original movie, the MGM movie. He may have read the books. Maybe the cast did read the books, but I don't think they actually read them enough. Even if you are familiar with the books, when you're hired to play a role, you're hired to play a role for that screenplay. So, and I can respect James Franco for being a fan of the original Oz books, and you know that's great. On the other hand, though, I would I won't blame the fact that the movie turned out the way it did exactly on him because really that's uh, the actor's part is really so little of why the movie story turns out the way it is. He's responsible it, for, and no. also the performance. That can also depend on the director. And also the editing as well. Whoever edited, I don't know if Sam Raimi was involved in the editing or not, but it's clear that whatever takes we got in this final cut of the movie may not have been all of the best ones. Did Clinda's castle look a little bit like the Disney castle? A little bit. I mean, I know they were trying to go for a certain art, Novo and Castle style at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, it was very reminiscent of the Sleeping Beauty Castle. But I think Disney's are getting a little bit repetitive in that design. They used the Disney Castle for both the red and white castles in Alice in Wonderland with Tim Burton. And they did that again in, in Disney's Enchanted, which is okay, but... You know, if you do, if you keep referring to something more than once, it gets repetitive and exhausting. And James Franco's hair, I thought it wasn't really that accurate either. Like, um, you know, I thought he could have had a, a haircut that actually reflected the time his character was set in. And I know I'm just nitpicking little bits here and there, but, you know, it's all about the actor, the design, and... It's everything that has to be put into the film. People are going to notice these things if they are diehard fans, devotees. Yeah. You know the Disney 23 magazine, how James Franco's on the cover? Yeah. I thought he looked a little bit like John Ritter when he played Elfingbaum. As we say, this movie was better than expected when you saw it for yourself in the cinema, but... Um, even the movie itself could have been better in the story, the character, editing, and music, and a bit of the publicity, too. Not bad. Good, but could have been better, too. So, sorry if I've nitpicked, but, well, I've had a lot of opinions before this movie came out. I mean, I liked it. Did you, overall, when you setting aside these uh, the, our nitpicks and big bomb fan expectations. Overall, did you at least like the movie? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. We liked it. It's just that we just realized it could have been so much more. This is just how much we love Oz, guys. Yeah, like, one of the one of the other directors considered for this was Sam Mendes, and he wanted to cast Robert Downey Jr. That wasn't the case. So while we did get a Sam director for this, well, you know, if I had to pick a different director, I probably would have gone for 
Terry Gilliam with James Marsden as the wizard. Well, I think I could have worked. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed our review and discussion of the film. Without being spoiled. Well, if you've listened to the whole thing, you've been you've been spoiled. Mm-hmm. Listen at your own risk. Unless you've already seen it. We agree that while Oz the Grain Puffle didn't have the best publicity, it did have a good movie that was better than expected, even though it alludes more to MGM than the book or books series. We'll see how this film goes in later years, like in a decade or so, because perspectives of a movie can change. And who knows, while this is the number one movie at the moment, who knows what movie will actually take its place in due time. Actually, I'm surprised Disney made an Oz movie so soon. I wasn't expecting it for like years and years later, like a decade or so. Well, here we are. Here we go, indeed. Hope you've enjoyed this to us, and we'll see what movie takes us down the yellow book road next time. We'll try to have the wizard up for you, and next time we'll be going to the stage with uh, the Minneapolis Children's Theater Company, He's adaptation of The Marvelous Land of Oz. Oh, yes. Look forward to that one. So, thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience. Enjoy the movie. Don't Just don't have any high hopes or high expectations. So, thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.